And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation. I'm hoping helps your business grow. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. I've heard a lot of people say that. I don't even know who invented the saying. And it's probably because it's been around that long. We're going to talk all about the business metrics that founders must know. And as usual, brought in subject matter experts to discuss that and who knows what else. And before I introduce today's guest, a quick reminder that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, baby. They've been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. Silicon Valley Bank is built for what's next. Learn more at svb.com. There's a link in the show notes. And I'm going to say, if you can't remember svb.com, well, I don't know what else to say. With me today, I've got Eric Bond. Eric's the co-founder and general partner at Hustle Fund. Learn more about Hustle Fund at hustlefund.vc. They are everywhere, including the Bay Area and Singapore. They might have the greatest tagline that I have run across in the history of Startup Hustle. They invest hilariously early in startups. Eric, welcome to Startup Hustle. Thanks for the opportunity, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, I, I like to say that no one tells the, the backstory better than founders and CEOs. And I'm looking forward to you telling me more about Hustle Fund uh, and great name. Got to love something with it, with hustle in it, right? Start a Hustle, Hustle Fund. Maybe, maybe we can merge. Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, what, what's the backstory, Eric? Tell us a little bit more about you and the fund and what you guys are up to. Yeah, thank you. Um, so... I'm a, I'll start from the beginning about myself and then go right into Hustle Fund. So born and raised in Michigan, grew up in the Midwest, and then came out to California for college in 2000 and essentially never left. So never had any intention to be a part of the tech ecosystem. At one point, I thought I was just going to be a, a novelist. You know, that's kind of what, what I went to college for. And then I realized I couldn't write very well. And then, uh, you know, we do what a lot of failed writers do, which is go directly into tech, right, and start forming companies. So... Uh, that's exactly what I did. I kind of accidentally fell into uh, education uh, as an ed tech founder for, for the first nine years of my, my life. Uh, sold that company to a publicly traded company in, in the UK, was there for a little while. Uh, started another media company with my co-founder, Elizabeth, and then um, had some stints as a product manager at places like Facebook and Instagram. And then after that, decided like, okay, I want to start another company. have no idea what I want to do. And I called my old friend and old co-founder, Elizabeth Yin, and said, uh, hey, can I join as an EIR, an entrepreneur in residence on your team at 500 Startups, where she was uh, running the accelerator there. And that was my first exposure, just sort of learning a little bit of the ropes of venture, the venture side of the business versus the angel side of the business, uh, where I've been active for a while before that, uh, through Elizabeth and 500 Startups. And I'd say that the origin of Hustle Fund began with a very simple question, Matt. It was, why is it 
that the exact same dudes are getting most of the seed capital. And let me like break that down a little bit more. So it's frankly guys that, that kind of look like us. You know, if you're a white or Asian man, went to a Stanford or whatever great school for computer science, worked at a Google or Facebook, et cetera, that's like today's like phenotype, quote unquote, like of and pedigree of, of where a lot of seed capital goes. And uh, as we sort of dug into the data a little bit more uh, at 500 Starps, but also in our own angel investing portfolios, we came to the conclusion that just because you possess these qualities, uh, this race, this gender, this pedigree, it doesn't necessarily predict success reliably. I mean, there's plenty of women underrepresented groups, those outside of Silicon Valley uh, that succeed very, very well. And it turned out uh, that the underlying quality that was shared across all of our early founders that we backed at 500 and our own angel por portfolio was this quality that we call hustle. So for us, hustle is defined as great execution meets high velocity. And you find it in teams that ship a lot of code, run a lot of experiments, drive very hard sales pipeline processes, whatever's the right execution metric uh, for those teams to measure. And those teams that just measure well with very high throughput and execution and uh, executional quality week after week, month after month, year after year, tend to just grind out the best businesses over time. That's just something that all of our best founders seem to possess was this quality. So uh, we decided to design a fund around it. And um, without going too much into it, the way that we try to assess for hustle is, is less about trying to gain everything we need from our, our initial pitch because we invest that pre-seed stages. There's often very little to assess other than the team's potential. So we start with a very small, quick $25,000 check into a lot of teams. In our current fund, we're writing 200 of those checks of $25,000 a piece over three years. We'll then work with each team on growth projects for four to eight weeks, usually related to sales or user acquisition. This is an area that we feel very comfortable in coaching from our, from our careers as operators before this. And it gives us a chance to understand how well the team's hustles by actually observing the work versus uh, observing the pitch. And then uh, in about a subset of cases, usually around 20% of companies that we start with that first check in the growth project, we find that we have high conviction about those businesses. We think that they hustle well. We like the markets they're serving. In those cases, we'll concentrate a much larger second check to make them a core position within our fund. So um, it turns out when you invest in this style, focusing on hustle, that you naturally get diversity. Uh, so we're not a diversity fund. We're not trying to target a certain set of women or anything like that. Uh, but it turns out that great hustlers look like anyone and come from anywhere. And great hustlers truly do look like everyone. So right now we're about 40% women that's climbing in our portfolio, 27% underrepresented groups, 60% of our deals are outside Silicon Valley. It just increasingly looks like the population of the markets that we serve every day because great hustlers look like anyone and come from anywhere. So that's a little bit about what we do at Hustle Fund, Matt. I hope that helps. Yeah, I like it. I, I, you know, hustle and energy are, are hard. You can't teach it. You kind of have it or you don't. And I think you can want it and dial it up a little bit. But um, as as a high energy, high drive person myself, I've learned that uh, that's that's kind of an intangible. Uh, and you know, it's kind of like the Energizer Bunny. Now you're talking about investing in early stage businesses, doing small teaser deals, which is smart. Why not, you know, give yourself a vested interest and, and, and give the, give the, the concept of, uh, there could be more at the end of this, uh, you know, part of what we set out in this episode to talk about our business metrics that founders need to know, and you're the perfect person for this, because I got to believe that you guys are, are, I, you know, I'm trying to get out of the habit of saying you guys, because it's not, uh, always guys, but, <clears throat> 
uh, there's got to be a lot that I got to believe that with writing 200 checks and in, in micro amounts, and yes, 25k is kind of micro in that regard that you guys have to have some kind of formula and some kind of numbers and revenue that you look at or lean on or teach people to represent. Is that is that true? Yeah, I'd love to actually react to a few things you said as along with that uh, that question. So uh, we are a women-led fund. We're, we're only one of 5% of VC funds in the United States that's women-led. So my two other general partners, Elizabeth and Sheehan, are women. Um, we're very grateful that I get to grow old with them. Uh, the second thing, too, is like we don't really frame it as like a teaser check. Um, so what I think uh, also inspired this model was me as a founder, I've, I've had good investors and bad investors. And the issue is that on day one, they all looked awesome and sounded awesome. It wasn't until like year one or year six where you notice that there's like an insufferable set of assholes and then those that are actually really good. And and you and it was just like too late. At that point, I took their money and they already invested in me. So part of this is also the checks and balance, this model where you know we don't want to get too overexposed on you because we're making a very early bet alongside your mom and dad usually uh, with our first check. But vice versa, you want to also get a chance to vet us to see whether we actually add value. And if we don't, if one party or the other doesn't uh, support the social contract, uh, then it makes zero sense to proceed with a second check. All right, so I think that, that checks and balance part of it is, is, um, is really important, I think, in terms of this model um, and in terms of protecting both sides. So, uh, sorry, going back to the heart of the question, can you repeat that, that last part, Matt? Well, so when it comes to the to the metrics and the things that yeah. you're looking at, right. and you know, here's the thing: is when a, co a a company that doesn't yet exist or hasn't often created anything, it's hard to gauge and judge sure. metrics. You know, some totally. of it's clearly ba based on you know, my crystal ball has been has got a lot of bugs and errors in it, and it's not as yeah. accurate as I'd like it to be. So, you know, and, and by the way, thank you for correcting me because I I do believe that the term teaser probably wasn't the right the right word there. Um, you know, but and, and you're right. By the way, it does sometimes take a while to uh, discover who the insufferable assholes are, and they <laughs> exist. And uh, in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, I, I very early and and quite vehemently caution people about being careful about who they do business with because. Uh, you can get rid of your spouse faster than you can get rid of your business partners. And oftentimes mm -hmm. it can even be less expensive. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you never, yeah. you never know. Now, when it comes to, you know, obviously you have things like in, in basic startups that are, that are usually a little further down the line than what you're talking about. You've got things like revenue, you know, obviously growth behind that customer acquisition costs, you know, obviously fundraising milestones and just slicing and dicing that up and seeing how it works. But when it comes to a met metric, do you, can you establish metrics with a company that hasn't yeah. done anything that pegs that checks one of those boxes? Totally. I mean, you, Matt, you've, you've been in this game for quite some time as a founder, it sounds like. And, and that's in for our conversation, we we're talking about your angel investments, even how active you are. You know, regardless of when you put in the check, whether it's on day one or day like 500, teams are racing really hard towards something, right? Um, and the interesting kind of learning I've had in this experience is like, you don't need to get terribly obsessed over gap metrics. 
right? You know, like gap accounting metrics, like revenue and expenses, like that's one important component of it. And eventually we do want every big business that we invest into to become a going concern where more money's coming in than leaving. But uh, given the stage and the sector of the business, the, the metrics will dr uh, dramatically differ. Example of this would be like, you know, we have a company investment, uh, an investment into a, an awesome company called Boom Supersonic. They're building a supersonic commercial jet. Uh, goes Mach 2.1. Uh, they have crazy amounts of pre-orders from major airlines. But in the last three years, they've actually been building hardware, right? Mostly. Yeah, you know, there's like some sales goals that they're doing on the side here. But in the early days, it was around hitting kind of engineering milestones. And um, so the first question that we ask our founders when we begin working with them is what, met what metric matters to you and why? So they actually define it. We never define it for them because I want to get a sense of like how they're thinking about evolving this business. And the second thing that we ask after that is like, okay, you've established that these, this metric or these set of metrics really matter to you. How are you instrumenting it right now? Like how are you actually capturing this? And then how can we design finally a project where we can push those kinds of metrics in the right direction, you know, in the course of working together. So, you know, for us, like, it's it's not like this thing where I got to see Matt's business go from like $1,000 MRR to 30,000 MRR in six weeks. Like, uh, that that's never like that simple. It's usually just around really getting a sense of what it was like to work with this person. Because, uh, you know, eventually, if we have the right team, we think we're just going to, they're just going to figure it out. Right. Um, but the first question of just like, what are you measuring and why is really illustrative of just like, you know, are, are they measuring the right things? Are they making the right kind of argument? How thoughtful was it? Um, and instru instrumentation tends to be the first thing that we work on with these teams because that's much, much harder than people realize is actually how do you capture that things are going in the right direction, build a dashboard against it, expose it to the right people and get into like that muscle memory of trying to build companies like this with, with clear dashboards and what people are trying to solve for. So and that's got to be a tough sell on some days though. Like when you're sitting there talking to a founder and you're... It, well, you, I, on some on some levels, you're saying you can say, "Don't worry about revenue right now," which feels really counterintuitive to a lot of business people. You know, like I mean, the the whole world of startups, especially tech startups, over the last twenty years, has kind of flipped many of the the business one hundred and two hundred level models. Like, what's a you know, we've we've had so many episodes where we've talked about how do you establish a value on a company that has no revenue and uh, you know, how, why can't a startup that would get acquired for $300 million not be able to get a bank loan two months yeah. before that? And that's because, well, you know, just really quickly on that. So I'm, I'm not advocating that we don't care about revenue at all. In fact, revenue is usually the thing that people are suggesting yeah. is what they want to measure. But I think you're, you're right, which is that it depends, it actually does depend on the stage of the business. If they're like day one company formation, we don't take too many of those day one bets where it's just like, I just quit my job yesterday and this is my idea. Rarely we do that kind of stuff even now. Um, but, but, uh, you know, you know, for the types of businesses that we try to sell to. So I think Matt, you do a lot in terms of SaaS, like we do as well. Usually revenue is something that you can turn on almost immediately. It's like got no problem, no product yet. No problem. Start pre-selling. Right, start building like the the pipeline, right? And then uh, you know you you can generally go pretty far actually even before you have a product shipped uh, in many classes of these uh, these sectors like SaaS. Yeah, that's a actually advice I've I, man I've probably given hundreds of times at this point, maybe even just on yeah. this show, if not in real life, is 
is I see a lot of, you know, you get caught up in the metrics and, you know, we mentioned things like, I don't know, there's just the basic stuff. It's revenue, customer acquisition costs. And I think a lot of, especially in tech companies, the, you know, the, the, and some of this is personality driven founders and those involved, they're really product centric. They want to build the tech, but they're not too concerned about trying to sell it. And and that often results in them getting pretty far down the line without addressing the things that do drive basic metrics. And yeah. a lot of that can take a lot longer to figure out and try to establish. And then they often do it in these like micro sample spaces, you know, like, yeah. okay, we, we did it. We spent 200 bucks and this is how we calculated the future, you know, and, sure. and, uh, you know, so when it comes to, and yeah, and revenue is the validating factor in the end, like there's no way well, to avoid that. Yeah. Uh, and I think you're, you're raising actually like a, a we're, we're, we may be spiritual cousins here, Matt, because, uh, I think we, <laughs> we, viol- we violently agree on this one principle, which I heard in your statement, which is well summarized because I'm a VC in a tweet that I saw many years ago by this guy, Justin can who's the co-founder of Twitch, which is that first time founders focus on product. Second time found- founders focus on distribution. I was a guy who started my career on product and then, you know, had to figure out distribution a lot later. Every, every single subsequent company I ever started was distribution oriented. It was like, can I just validate the markets here? I can actually make a crap ton of money on day one even. And then like, you know, back solve on like refining the product. Um, so we, we are very oriented towards founders, whether they're first time or not, just like care about selling. Right. Um, because we're in the business of trying to back going concerns. Uh, there are other funds that are a little bit more, Future tech and science oriented, like we're gonna mine gold and like a asteroid on the Kuiper belt. You know, <laughs> that sounds incredible. I heard it takes like 35 years to get to the Kuiper belt or something on like a you know <laughs> a Viking probe or something. So like we can't actually produce any return within our lifetime for that. Uh, so there are funds that do that, and I respect them. But ours are kind of boring, like unsexy, sexy businesses. They're just like, well, this is a very needed acute SaaS problem right now that no one's gonna churn from, and we can grow to 100 million dollars in year five. I back that team all day long. I get into that with my business partner, Full Scale, and often co-host on the show, Matt Watson. And uh, he, oh, there's he, two Matts here. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Matt, and Matt. He's always the other Matt, and I am as well. So he joins me weekly. We're doing a 52-part series this year on how to start a tech company. But wow. I can quote him verbatim by saying. I love boring businesses. He loves yes. infrastructure type products, things that grind gears in the background that aren't sexy, but kind of move so many different things, which yes. uh, can be easy or not easy to explain. I think that depending on the investor you're talking about and what metrics you're going with, like some people get it, some people don't. It's about being in front of the right people. So when it comes to revenue numbers and we begin to dissect that a little bit, you know, like looking at what kind of acquisition channels can drive revenue, uh, the cost of the product or subscription, how much of your revenue is attributed to the product versus, say, maybe something like consulting or pre-sales. Yeah. Like, wh- which of these things are you or do you look at or, or really tell people at the Hustle Fund to wrap their arms yeah. around first? Like, I love the pre-selling idea. Like, nothing's going to help you get funding later than saying, hey, look, Here's a list of people that say that they're buying this either now or the day it comes out. And to yeah. me, that shows me that shows me founders that are sales centric and yeah. sales cures ales. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, I love that. I'll have to steal that from you. Um, 
So uh, I think there's a couple of things that we care about when it comes to just understanding the health of this business is a lot of our discussions around unit, unit economics. It's like, okay, uh, let's start from like the long-term value that you expect from this client. You know, um, how long do you expect them to be a client? How much are you charging them? When do you think they would churn? At what percentage would they churn? Um, sometimes it gets a little bit deep into segmentation. Like maybe you're finding that small businesses under 10 employees are like your your bread and butter and those that are more mid-market are, are like harder to acquire. Uh, so that's actually on like once you've acquired those users. And then a, a lot of the focus in, early, in the early days also is on the acquisition costs, right? Because <laughs> you're just getting going. The funnel's new. So um, getting a sense of, you know, across which channels, like, you know, how much are you investing? What is the cost uh, for the lead? What is the likelihood that lead converts? Um, so much of this ends up becoming like blocking and tackling and setting up your CRM properly and your reporting dashboard. But the, the big questions that we ask once that's all set up is like, you know, once you acquire a lead in a channel, how fast do you see the payback? Like or how fast does a deal close and how fast do you see the payback? If it's like a month to close a person and then like, you know, eight months to see payback, that might be a little bit too slow where you can run into like a working capital issue. The dream was like, you know, as fast as closing process as possible and then like a payback within one to three months. And then that to me is actually a very, very good story to tell in, in venture fundraising in the future, which is just like, yo, just give Matt like $5 million. He's going to put $3 million into this, into this machine and then churn out like, you know, 10x that amount of money in the next like year and a half. So those kinds of like boring, repeatable things uh, are, are what get me the most excited. So yeah, a lot of it is just like, how, how are you defining the entire journey around your unit economics and how quickly do you get into profitability? So I want to, I, I like to stop and define things and you use two words there that um, honestly, the most successful entrepreneurs I knew, I know and meet, uh, these two words come out of their mouth a lot, unit economics. And that's defined as the, as direct revenues and costs associated with a particular business model and are specifically expressed on a per unit basis. Some will even go as far as saying that unit economics are the fundamental or basic financial building blocks of business. So, yeah. And that's like, you know, you can look at certain things like you said, Hey, all right. So if we give this person or this thing or whatever, 3 million bucks, it's going to turn into 30. And that's a yeah. pretty, that's a, that becomes a fair assumption at certain points. And we went from like the topic of revenue to acquisition costs, which is always important. And I kind of jokingly referred to a small sample size because I see people that give me pitches a lot that, okay, our our customer acquisition cost is going to be $60. Whatever, I'm just picking a random number there. And then you go and you look at those numbers and that's been tested out through three acquired customers or like free trial users or something. And the thing that gets sideways in a hurry is the scalability of some of that. And I think especially when you are in and around, like I love the, the concept that there's riches in the niches, but that, that approach and those kind of businesses begin to conflict even more with the scalability. So at what point and like, how do you judge whether your sample size for your acquisition numbers and metrics, like where, where can you safely assume that you might be kind of right? Cause you're not going to ever be right, but where are you kind of right? Sure. I mean, like, let me just start with uh, maybe the obvious I should began with, which is like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
I don't think most VCs know what they're doing either, right? Like a lot of this is actually, uh, so like this is what I love about this asset class and also what's really scary about this asset class. Let me start with what's scary. So the scary part is just like, it's so freaking early. You're never gonna get enough like statistically significant data points to indicate like, okay, like this is a team that has like a perfect strategy for executing their product, executing their distribution. It's, it's all there and oh yeah, the, the team's only like less than six months. Really, really rarely, maybe like one in every like 300 investments or something that we see like, do we get to like that level of conviction is my guess. Um, but I think like when it comes to pre-seed and seed stage investing, there's a key question that every investor needs to ask themselves and answer for themselves, which is what happens when things go right? Right. I mean, because like this is this is not so much an exercise of like, well, I've been looking at your five year trailing EBITDA, Matt, and like I'm noticing like this kind of trend and like 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 those kinds of like series B, C exercises where a Goldman Sachs ex banker is going to be like looking at your spreadsheets and stuff like that. That's that comes a little bit later <laughs> in the beginning, though. It's more just like, is this a team that has incredible mental elasticity and adaptability? Are they like one of those Carol Dweck, like uh, uh, like growth mindseted people? Um, and do I think that this market's big and that's that's kind of like the only thing that we can validate when it's a market it's just like do we think it's like enormous and this is a team that's going after something huge and that's kind of the best that we can do uh but still actually have a period of time and just watch the teams at work whether they're working on growth projects or not is really illustrative and what where i where i draw very very deeply is just like the hundred or so people that i've hired in my career and like the many others that i've had to fire in my career from bad hires uh, just and and seeing what that feeling, what that experience is like, and working with the very best people, uh, you you kind of see it pretty quickly. Like we we generally need just a few weeks before we start to notice like this seems to be like a team that could be like on, on a breakout curve, uh, versus those that you know just really continue to struggle, have a hard time measuring, have a hard time understanding how to prioritize and so forth. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of just like an exercise of faith, largely, at the pre-seed stage. Yeah, and I think that it's no secret that the that that's a, a volume game. You know, like I, I don't know what the expected success rate is at the it truly in the pre-seed world, but it's not high. Um, you know, so okay, so well, I disagree with know, that. The... I mean, like we actually do like an audit of our teams like every every quarter, and so far it's been looking pretty good. I mean, like there, there's a bit of like a self-filtering thing here too. Um, Mental models of like what good looks like are a little bit easier for us when it comes to SaaS businesses, because you know we just have so many mental models in running these businesses ourselves and actually having some success investing some previously. I say that like where uh, you're right in the sense that this is a power law game, meaning like you could have 200 horrible investments and be the seed investor in Uber. And like, you would look like you have like a 5,000 X fund or something. Uh, does that mean you're like a, a genius picker? Maybe, or maybe not. Like you could actually be just damn lucky. Right. And that's actually the other fun part of this business, which is like, even those sometimes that are less obvious, uh, don't even, that don't even start off that great can turn the ship around really quickly. Um, so, you know, spreading our bets pretty widely works for our fund construction model. But, um, so far there've been. Like it, most of the companies are doing pretty well. I think like something between 60 to 70% have gotten downstream funding and then have been able to, you know, actually get down the path of building like a real going concern, including those that we didn't write our second check into. 
Yeah. And so, so much of that comment is just literally the VCs that have been on the shows before that are trying to be right one out of 10 times. And you, when you talk about, well, in any sport, if you had a 10% success ratio, you certainly aren't headed towards the hall of fame. When it yeah. comes to hall of fame, there's a hall of fame bank that I like to support and they've supported us by sponsoring this episode. So quick reminder that this episode of startup hustles brought to you by Silicon Valley bank. I'm sure you know them well, Eric. SVB has been supporting innovative founders, companies, and investors with targeted financial services and expertise for over 35 years. SVB.com, link in the show notes. Um, yep. You know, when it, SVB, they sponsor our stuff too, and we, we love this team. Yeah, SVB is great because they actually make an attempt to understand what startups do past like the world's oldest uh uh, banking numbers, figures, and expectations. Eric, you would have enjoyed many of the phone calls that I've been invited to with bankers that want to do more business with startups and want to know how. And it's simple. Mm -hmm. uh, try to understand how the business actually works and where they're going and why it might be valuable, not just what you see on the general business metrics. Okay, so... Moving down the line here, you get things like fundraising numbers. Now, I know that at Hustle Fund, and once again, go to hustlefund.vc. Um, and by the way, before we move on, is that is that where uh, a hopeful founder can submit their info and get and ask ask y'all to take a look? Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, yes, so hustlefund.vc. There's a button at the very top that says, "What are you hustling?" So whether you're a warm introduction, like Matt says, like, this is my college roommate. He's like a genius. You have to talk to him or some random person that like finds one of my sad minivan tweets on Twitter. You know, everyone is actually forced to go through the exact same ingestion funnel, which is click on that. What are you hustling button? And I'll tell you the reason why we do that is because we actually want to minimize the over signal bias of warm introductions, which I think are actually more net harmful for this industry than anything. Cause we've learned that there's insane amount of great hustlers that just don't know anyone yet. <laughs> I mean, like I started off like that and I know that there are many of you out there who are listening today too. So why not start from an even playing field? If you uh, go to hustlefund.vc and click on that, what are you hustling button? We're eager to review. So let, let me clarify. So I can give you a tip of someone that's not even submitting. I can say, hey, this is Eric, and you might want to take a look at this guy, and this is where you can find him, and, and those that's, that's as welcome as anything else? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you send me um, some of your friends, Matt, of course, like uh, I'll make sure that we close a loop with you, let you know that we're you know speaking to the person and so forth. But at least on like the first meeting, um, we, we want to be our first patch. We want to be able to have more of an even playing field across everyone, right? That we're seeing last month, we saw 916 deals of those. We've invested in about 10 at the 25 K check level. And I have no idea who at this point, like who is like a warm or, or cold intro. Um, and, and that's how we like it. In fact, our biggest success in the fund to date in terms of liquidity was a straight up cold email in the first year of our funds formation that led to a hundred million dollar outcome. So it was, it was, a uh, yeah, we love cold. Yeah, well, that's great. And I mean, that that's, uh, I think you're taking the, well, sometimes you taking the opposite approach of what industry norms or averages are can uh, be the way to do it. Like when we, we built full scale and we have 200 employees uh, in less than three years. We did that by taking all the things that people 
disliked about offshore software development and we just did the opposite. It was exactly. pretty easy. Like, Seems yeah, to be working so, for you, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey. So, you know, so, sometimes that's the, the way to do it. But I love the I love the cold tip, though. I mean, that's that's uh, that's the way to do it. So if you know someone that's killing it or getting ready to go to hustlefund.vc. OK, we talked we were talking earlier about and, and congrats on all the success, man. I love you know, I don't talk to to people in your industry or space often that mm -hmm. seem to well first off they all kind of do it the same they really do yeah you're obviously not and i and i love that so thank you for giving me something fresh to wrap Ooh, my arms around and sure and you're feel welcome. hopeful for i think i think that every, so many of the things you said are spot on i mean there's a, insane amounts of talent across everywhere all the time i mean and you know i i mentioned having invested in companies in the past, they're not all tech companies. I've invested in a card game. I have invested in a company that moves fitness equipment. Like a good business is a good business. And when you get the right people that are behind them, uh, it is what it is. Uh, you know, the, totally. the, the last thing I need is probably more equity in companies that might be worth something in 10 years. So I'm out on that Kuiper Belt mining farm one. That's <laughs> probably too, not... Yeah, that's not good. So yeah, I won't be coming out on that one. Now, speaking of fundraising numbers, I mean, everyone gets obsessed. Uh, <clears throat> once again, I'll quote the other Matt. He gets really cranky when businesses and startups are glorified only for fundraising. And mm -hmm. I agree with them. You know, like, I mean, you get we, we know people that have had startups that had hundreds of millions of dollars on, come in on the way to them uh, chaining up the front door. And, you know, so when it comes to like how much you've raised, how much are you raising now? What are the terms in this round, last round, whatever? Like how, I mean, how important really is that for startup founders to be obsessed with? Because usually they are. I'd say the answer to that is not at all and extremely important too at the same time. So not in all the sense of, I think you're identifying the right first principle uh, that any founder should think about, which is just that, you know, uh, there are vanity metrics that are just vanity metrics. And then there's actually the metrics that actually matter for your business. So if you and I are bootstrapping a business where we're growing like 70% year over year um, with excellent unit economics, we control our time. We are cutting ourselves millions of dollars a year, even in our own like uh, owner's draw, right? <laughs> like, uh, and like compensating our, our people super well, that sounds like heaven to me. You, you did this like without like any outside capital, you have complete control. I mean, that's insane. Like you have a crazy amount of optionality ahead in terms of selling the business someday, keeping it going forever, whatever you want. Uh, and then there's the vanity metrics. So you're right. Like, I don't think that we should be celebrating necessarily too much uh, fundraising announcements. It is worth celebrating, I'd say, because it gives your team a chance to live another day or several days. And I think that that is a milestone, but it is disassociated, I think, with the quality of business. And increasingly in this market, we're finding that that disassociation between actual business performance and fundraising performance are not even the same universe. I mean, I've seen idea stage companies that raise 30 million out of the gate at like hundreds of millions out of valuation. And I'm like, what's happening here? Like there's no deck. <laughs> there's like a, you don't even have your email set up. You don't have no website. It's like that there's those, there's those kinds of bets. And sometimes to be honest, like they do pay off uh, on the right kind of hype cycle. Um, but where it does get imp imp uh, very important for founders is, you know, you still need to play 
this game to some degree if you're on the venture path. Let's say that you and I are starting a company that has to go through venture financing. Like we're building a brand new automobile. It's almost impossible to bootstrap that kind of thing, right? So uh, demonstrating that there are good people in the round, that there's momentum in each subsequent fundraise, that unlocks actually your next round of capital too, to unblock you to get to the next phase of your business growth. And eventually you will become a going concern, I hope, and on a really hard problem like that. So um, VC does serve as a critical lifeblood, especially for certain industries. But for those who are, again, just going back to the earlier example, like you know, keeping it much leaner, don't need to raise that much money, if you can pull that off, that's like a thousand times better than VC. I mean, why not own like almost all of your company, then give it up and take on a new boss when you want to be your own boss, right? That's one of the best benefits of running a company instead of having a board and all that jazz. That's a, a an adjacent comment to me saying uh, that I'm completely unemployable at this point, uh, 45 years old. Uh, I don't, yeah, I, and welcome to the club. By the way, I missed something earlier. I, I meant to ask, and I wasn't going to even move forward in the episode, uh, what was one of your horrendous van tweets? What did that mean? The minivan tweets. <laughs> yeah, I actually was thinking about this earlier today as I was driving my minivan to the grocery store, which was, um, you know, I was like, in almost every single interview I've had in the last 10 interviews, someone mentions my minivan. Cause I like to make fun of myself as like this very, very suburban, boring ass dude. In fact, for, for those who are listening, I'm actually, you can't see it, but I'm in my garage and there's a bunch of like brooder garbage trucks and toys like all over the place. And I think my brand I, I've decided I'm just gonna accept is I'm everyone's dad. Right, just like mm. like pretty dorky, very into dad jokes, uh, and you know that's basically it. Like I'm obsessed with my family, my wife, all that jazz. My kids are awesome, so I'm everyone's dad. But as a result, like uh, because I love minivans, I always have. I think they're incredible vehicles. Um, there's a lot of minivan joking, a lot of minivan questions. By the way, you should get a Honda Odyssey EX if you want the biggest value for your buck. They're relatively cheap; they'll last forever. We can talk about minivans rest of the episode if you want. I I now think that that was just an elaborate setup to make sure that you kept your minivan streak alive. Uh, you said I mean, ten straight, ten well, straight. Well, so I think you. Well, let's do this too. Since SVB is actually your sponsor, I'm pretty sure they might help you with their auto loan as well, right? Check out svb.com. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let them know if you, if you do that. Let them know Eric from Hustle Fund, not Matt from Startup Hustle, sent you by. Uh, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I'm pretty. Okay, I'm pretty sure that they don't do auto loans, but they might. <laughs> You're never gonna know if you don't apply. You'll never know, people. There you go. I'm joining in on that. Uh, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I was having a conversation the other day about embracing the old part of myself. And I turned 46 this year and sometimes people, you don't look that old. I'm like, I feel that old and I am that old. So, you know, you have to, you you, you come around and uh, and wrap your arms around it or you don't, one, one of the two. Now, you know, you talk about birthdays and birthdays are human milestones. Businesses have milestones as well. Um, you know, when it comes to, to metrics for a startup founder, and once again, when you're, you know, every, uh, it, every business, even the, biz, the biggest companies in the world were day one startups at some point. And sure. it's easy to look back and see what your milestones are. I mean, Google was a day where they were at the same place that the listener that hasn't started the business yet was at some point. And, 
you got to get through that. But, you know, how important are milestones uh, when it comes to setting them? And, you know, I know technically when they're in the future, they're goals, but in the past, they're milestones. But how does that, you know, how should, in your opinion, startup founders be looking at that, setting them or caring about them? Yeah. I mean, I've, I view them as, you know, especially when you're a startup founder, you know, this is a deeply personal journey that you're on. Uh, this is the thing that I, I don't think I quite understood until after I've had a chance to work in big companies as well as my own businesses is just like how deeply personal uh, the journey is in being a founder. And, you know, when I mark my own life, just as a human being, like I'm turning 40 this year too. And like, you know, I think about my kids, my wife, uh, you know, there's, there's moments that I'm just deeply proud of that I've been able to accomplish. And, and also other milestones I reach in my business, but also in my personal life that I'm, I'm deeply proud of. So just like taking a moment to hold space with the team and just be like, Hey, we did this, you know, like this, that's kind of wild. I, I think A is like really great for uh, a team's perspective and just like showing that, you know, joint effort yielded some sort of great outcome, I guess on a more tactical basis too. We do this within our own team, but we also encourage uh, all of our founders to do this is just getting into like a cultural mindset around objectives and key results. It's like sort of like a gold, it's just fancy goal setting for the quarter really that we do it. And, um, you know, making it feel like, you know, like I want to own like these certain parts of the business. And then I'm going to try to just like, by any means necessary, just get to that level of what I'm trying to, to accomplish by the end of the quarter. Uh, we're about to go through this exercise actually next week with my team and uh for q1 and uh yeah i mean like it's for me like one of the best mechanisms for people to feel like owner feel, feel real ownership in this business and celebrate those kinds of milestones uh so yeah I'm, I'm not quite sure how to take it other than i think it's important because this is a really really long journey ahead and you gotta just have like moments where you just like slow down and celebrate these things and just like thoughtfully assess it and then permutate them and then move forward um, otherwise it's just going to feel like, uh, you're, you're an ant in like a factory, just like grinding away until like you have no life left. And that's kind of why we didn't become corporate dudes. Not to say, by the way, to your listeners that that's the wrong path. If you're successful in that, I actually really do admire people who are, but, um, yeah, <laughs> founders also wired a little bit different, right? We kind of love, uh, complete ownership, being a jack of all trades, being otherwise unemployable like Matt in other, uh, corporate realms. Well, it, it, so much of that, that, that the interpersonal journey of a founder, you know, I tell people a lot, I'm like, you know, the business speaks to me in the middle of the night. It's always in the middle of the night too. It's always wake up at three in the morning and no, I'm not crazy, <laughs> but it yeah. does, it does, it does speak to you in certain ways and the interconnected nature of your business and being the founder. And, you know, I've learned so many things about that along. I, I, I like you talk about milestones. I, I still to this day remember the moment 10 years ago when I finally truly realized that no one was going to care about my company as much as I did. Sure. It, yeah. they, why would why would they in the end? They might care a lot, but no one cared as much as I did. And, you know, there's different things. And uh, I think milestones are important, especially as your team grows bigger, because there's validating things that are in there. Like we, we just passed our 200th employee and that was a big one for us, you know, Jeez. and especially especially at the tail end of a pandemic, because we didn't we didn't grow. You know, 20, 2020 was about hanging on. 
you know, yeah. and and just kind of like as many people would say, said and you know would say, survive in advance, and then you get past it, and then you've grown, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're back to that. Like I don't know. I mean, in many ways, I look back at 2020 will always be a milestone because you know, like. Well, it didn't come out that well for everyone. And, you know, we don't have to get off on that, uh, get off on that subject. But, you know, there's, uh, you know, other milestones and sometimes they're just simple birth dates. And it's easy to look at things like, you know, hey, at at the third year we had this or this or that. And, you know, preparing for this episode, I look at some things and, you know, it's funny. I realized I never real, I had never I, or at least I could, I probably had, but I couldn't tell you how much we grew from year one to year two at full scale. It's 411%, which yeah. is pretty damn good. And then only 25% in 2020. But then you do that during a pandemic and you sit back and you have to appreciate it a little bit. You're like, yeah, wow, so many people I know that either work for companies, own companies and whatever, like what would they have given to say, hey, we grew during a pandemic. And and that's, but organizationally, personally, spiritually, however you want to look at it, it, it really does kind of matter. And, you know, in the end, uh, once again, it does come down to bottom line and how and when you're going to turn a profit. Uh, some businesses that happen sooner than others. We have uh, an episode in, in Matt Watson and I series about understanding your path to revenue. I think that's a really important thing for founders. And that's a different road for everyone, different businesses like a service business or or a franchise. You know, if you open yeah. a subway, you should expect to have revenue on the first day you're open. I think that that's <laughs> fair. And if, and if you don't, that's a red flag. Just letting you know. But, okay. So as, as we round out this episode, and thanks for joining me, it's been great conversation. Yeah, um, you, when it comes to looking at all the different metrics and things that you're looking at, like, is there a right way to slice them and dice them and like view them? Or is it just different? It, does every business have a different set of characteristics, style and metrics that matter? When we began Hustle Fund, we thought that we we could pursue this thesis that uh, we could try to unify all metrics across everyone in our portfolio get a sense of like, you know, whose revenue is inflecting faster than others, um, slice and then dice it by SaaS versus consumer, et cetera. And what we quickly realized was that it absolutely made zero sense for us to do that. Um, Even within the same kind of SaaS quote unquote sector, uh, it's really hard to compare two two types of businesses. I mean, Matt might be like doing SaaS enterprise, I might be doing SaaS mid-market. It's a totally different kind of sales cycle, totally different set of personas that you're selling into. So um, what I like about this business is that you really, really just need to get in the head of the founders of just like, how are they making their decisions here on like what good looks like, what mental models do they possess and what, which ones do they need to develop. And if we, if you think that they're just a super adaptable learning team that has what it takes to scale uh, in a market that's also perceived to be quite large and then just make the bet. Right. Um, for those 25,000 checks we write, we do that usually within one meeting and, uh, and the goal isn't necessarily to get to like full conviction about the business, but we could do that actually in the course of running, running growth projects with them later. Uh, but it's, it's that we just really like the ideas being presented and they presented enough, the founders also present enough evidence that they, they could sort of just like figure it out over time. So it's hard, hard, hard uh, to go like on a one-to-one mapping apples to apples on like Matt's metrics versus Eric's metrics, even if they're in similar industries. Uh, that's sort of one part I sort of think about, but that said, you do notice certain patterns. I'll give you like one example 
which is, you know, in general, our very best performing companies will reach $100 million in annual revenue by year five. And we've been, <laughs> we just been seeing that kind of threshold getting hit by like a subset of our businesses. And they, they clearly like unlock into like more unicorn level kind of territory uh, over time. So getting conviction that it doesn't take more than five years uh, to get to that kind of milestone. And it take, that's sort of a combination of the right kind of founder wants to do this the right kind of market and then all a shit ton of luck. Um, though that's sort of like something that we notice over time, but we generally don't know that on day one. Right. So it's, it's, it's a lot of faith bet right there. I think at the end of the day, dude, like I know this is a conversation about metrics, Matt, but a lot of this is actually for us an exercise of faith. Well, it's a conversation about metrics and it's not because some of them don't matter. I mean, and that's kind of what we, we arrived at and they can be different and trying to judge, you know, you have two apples, one's red, one's green. They're both apples, but how are we going to look at them? You know, and you might like, I, I personally, I like green apples. I like sour stuff. Like that's good for me. I, you know, it wasn't until I visited our office in the Philippines that I realized that there were two different kinds of mangoes. You have, you know, yellow <laughs> and orange, which are actually like ripe and sweet and then green mangoes. And I learned, I just, I, like my life changed. I said, well, I am a green mango person. And <laughs> when you go and order a mango nice. shake, you need to know which one you like. And, and that matters. I think that matters as an investor. Uh, as we end this episode, I want to remind everyone that this episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank, svb.com. Not the place to get your auto loan, but an amazing place to get support for, as an innovative founder, a company and investors they, where they target financial services and expertise with 35 years under their belt. Silicon Valley bank is built for what's next. Learn more at svb.com. Quick question on the way out. What's the, what's the best tip you can give to founders when it comes to business metrics? When it comes to business metrics, I think spend extra time on instrumentation, like learning how you wrap around uh, actions on certain buttons, like track movement, uh, understanding how you set up your sales funnel so you understand like how sales are being are flowing through. It sounds easy to do, but it, it's easy to also screw up. But once you have instrumentation down, you can get a much, much better handle on the state of your business. And that's just gonna help you scale massively, especially when you add more team members like Matt does. And, um, you know, you can rely on like a unified set of, of metrics that the entire business can align around. So instrumentation is, is a big one. Try to learn how to do that well. I think my, and once again, with me today, Eric Bond, Eric's the, the co-founder of Hustle Fund, go to hustlefund.vc. You know, my, I think my best advice is just don't ignore them because a lot of people do. They're just yes. not legit not paying attention to them at all and have some basic understanding because if you want to grow your business eventually you're going to have to talk about them and if it is pretty clear that you have no clue what's going on in the metrics at your business you don't have a very good chance of getting a check from me i know that i'm not sure about hustle fund but i <laughs> know that you're better you're better off if you have a understanding your metrics. Eric, thank you so much for joining me once again, hustlefund.vc. I'll see you next time. Thank you, Matt. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.